This podcast is an unedited excerpt from a live MCLE webcast. See the episode notes for details about the speakers and links to the program's full video and audio recording. Get access to everything MCLE offers for one low subscription fee with the MCLE Online Pass. Try it for free for a month. Go to www.mcle.org slash online pass. Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances, and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being read. No worry, Todd. Um, so I'm going to share the screen, and we're going to talk a little bit about how we can improve upon Todd's brilliant idea of using testamentary trusts. We use them all the time um, for lots of assets. I just think that they give the surviving spouse a lot more um, options uh, going forward um, for a small price, which is the cost of going through probate. So, but how can we improve some of the income tax consequences? He said that there are no negative impacts I think there's some slight impacts and let's go through those a little bit. I have a similar hypothetical. I got John and Mary from before. They got their social security income of 50,000, but instead of having that 800,000 in investment income, they've got an IRA worth 750, John's 74, Mary's 72, John's terminal. So he creates a testamentary trust for Mary's benefit. Um, Mary's got a progressive uh, dementia situation. So she has a real risk of going to a nursing home. So he names his estate as the beneficiary of his IRA. John dies in 2022, having received his 2022 RMD distribution. Um, so the same, now John's died. So we can't use the same married standard deduction. We have to use an individual. Now Mary, because she's low income, may qualify as head of household for a couple of years. Um, but later on, she's going to end up needing to be in the individual rate. And so that's the individual rate. Again, trusts we talked about um, have different standard, um, standard deductions. Uh, the testamentary trust, because it's not a grantor trust, because it's going to be fully discretionary as to distributions of income and principal, at least for that, merit, that family trust part, they're going to have a $100 standard deduction. So um, what does Mary's and the trust tax look like? If Mary's got her $42,000 of income, she lost a little bit of income when John died, um, got her benefits reduced a little bit as a result. Um, the testamentary trust is the one that's going to be taking the RMD. So calculating the RMD. So Todd and I have a little bit different interpretation of this. Um, I believe the ghost life expectancy gets fixed at um, when he dies at 74. That's a 15.6 year life expectancy. And then every year thereafter, you lose a year. So in the following year, you're going to have to have to subtract a year. Um, so in 2024, you're going to have a 13.6 life expectancy. 2025, it'll be 12.6 going down. In reality, it's not that big of a difference. You get a few extra years um, under the recalculated method, which is what um, the spouse would get um, the way that Todd broke it down before. Um, so let's calculate that, that RMD account valued on the 31st of the prior year tells us the amount that we have to divide by that um, life expectancy number. 
So in 2022, it would be um, 750,000 divided by, um, in, I'm sorry, 2023, we used December 31st of 2022's year end value. That was 750,000, divide that by 14.6, and you get 51,000. So the difference between Todd's example and my example is I just have a bigger IRA. Um, but then I went through and I calculated it, and most accounts are growing because they're invested in these retirement accounts. So I took a growth factor of six. So we take out our RMD, we grow the balance at 6%, we have a little bit left. So as you can see, over the 15 or so years, um, we're never really getting a really big IR, uh, RMD distribution. It's going to range somewhere between 51000 and 91000 So even if I am having to pay the RMD at the trust rates, we're not, it's not millions of dollars. It's less than 100000 coming into the, um, the trust. So, but again, we have to think about these trust rates. These trust rates are really oppressive for trusts. Um, individual rates, if we can pass it out to the beneficiary uh, and get that DNI deduction, um, that's going to give us the best bang for our bucks from an income tax point of view. Um, if we can't, we're going to be stuck with paying 37% at the amounts over 14,450. Um, so, if we pass out that RMD in that first year in 2023, um, Mary's going to pay a total tax of 12,802 in the 16% effective tax bracket. Not terrible. If the trust has to retain it because Mary's in the nursing home that first year, um, it's not going to be able to shelter a lot of that. It's going to be in the trust tax rate. So we're going to now pay a total tax of 20,198. Again, an $8,000 difference, not the end of the world. Our effective tax rate is 25%. Now let's look at the worst case scenario. At the end of it, and it all has to come out, and Mary is getting 91,000 added to her income. She's got 119,000. The tax she's gonna end up paying is 22%, 18% tax rate, not terrible. It's a little bit worse for the trust though. If the trust has to take in 91,000 of income, and not distribute that out, which is quite possible if Mary is 90, 86 years old, she is likely to be in the nursing home at this point. Um, we're gonna be losing roughly 29% of that. We're gonna pay a $35,000 tax on that $91,000 income or $31,000 tax on that 91 income. So can we do something about that? And the answer is yes, you can, if you plan. So, I want you guys to put the planning back into estate planning. And instead of waiting until John and Mary are 74, do what Todd was saying, go back 10 years, start talking to your clients when they're in their late 50s and 60s and see if we can start doing some Roth conversions. He said, pulling the money out. I say, try for a Roth. You can always pull the money out later and lose the deferral. But if you make it past five years, you can, and the five-year rule is for Roths, not for Medicaid purposes, you can always cancel a Roth after five years. So what would happen if John and Mary, when John was 64, started pulling out $80,000? Well, my prior example had $80,000 um, $80, of 
uh, investment income, let's call it an IRA um, conversion instead. They have 130,000 of income, they get the general deduction. Now it's two people that are doing this because they're doing it as a couple. So you're pulling in income at a higher amount because you've got two people and two people's tax rates that you can shelter that income with. So their effective tax rate is 13%. So over a 10 year period, if they're pulling out 80,000, paying it at the 13% effective tax rate, they're reinvesting roughly $67,700 um, into a Roth account. And that's gonna be growing at the same rates because they're invested in the same way. So as we see, we're pulling the money out slowly each year. The balance is getting down from 750 to 670 the first year, then it comes back up with investments, um, comes down to 630. And then in 2020, that's when John has to start taking his RMDs. He decides these, and the way Roth conversions work is that in order to do a Roth conversion and you have to take RMDs, you must, must, must take your RMD first. So you take your RMD first on January 10th, and then you do your Roth conversion on January 11th. Um, do not do the Roth conversion first or you're gonna have a failed Roth conversion. Um, so they take out both the 80,000 and the extra 12,000 because they can afford to, they're in a low tax bracket. So. At the end, when John dies at 74, now the remaining balance in the IRA is 113,000. We still have RMDs to deal with. If we name the estate, we still are gonna have to take RMDs out over the remaining ghost life expectancy, just like Todd said. But look what's in that Roth IRA, $1.2 million. That is a not going to get taxed at high trust tax levels. It's not going to be subject to estate tax because it was paid to the testamentary trust and put into the credit shelter share. And it's not going to be subject to Medicaid. With the ability of Roth growth and the ability um, to shelter that from Medicaid points uh, purposes and income tax purposes, you can shelter a heck of a lot of money using these Roth conversions. All right, so now we do still have to take RMDs, but we're on a much smaller scale. I have 118,000, that's because I misread this. I thought it's at 118. Um, so it's actually lower. So the first year, our RMD is only $8,000. If we don't want to distribute to Mary, we don't have to, we can retain it. The trust can pay the taxes on it because we're not in the high tax bracket. Even at the end, when we're in at 16,000, we're only a couple of thousand dollars over the highest tax bracket. So you're looking at really small taxes um, because you've been doing this Roth conversion 10 years before um, you needed to, and 10 years before someone died. So who qualifies for a Roth conversion? Everyone. Um, like Todd said, you've got to pay attention to where people are in their tax brackets, but being in a tax bracket just means a choice of what you get to pay in taxes. It does not prevent you from doing a Roth conversion. 
Typically, I like to see clients in the 22% tax bracket and fill up that 22% tax bracket. Sometimes there's a reason we need to go above that and into the 24% tax bracket, but be careful when you do because that will affect their Medicare premiums. Medicare premiums are based on adjusted gross income. And when you pull in Roth conversion amounts as income, that comes in as your adjusted gross income. So you're gonna be cognizant of it. It could raise their Medicare premiums after the, um, if you go over that 22% uh, bracket. So under current law, there are no income limits on persons who can do Roth conversions. There used to be, but there aren't any more. And they thought about changing, but they haven't. There are in fact, and people get confused by this, there are in fact income limitations on who can contribute to a Roth IRA, but there are no income limitations on who can do Roth conversions. So my last words of advice are, Talk to your clients who are not necessarily elderly about Roth conversions. Now may be a great time to position them for that last minute planning that Todd's talking about after they're age 74 um, in, in that RMD world. Thank you.